Hello and welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant Podcast. And this is a special one for a couple of reasons. First being, I'm doing the intro with Michael. Hello, Michael. Hey, everyone. Uh, Michael and I were really lucky enough to have a conversation with Dr. Kyle Strobel. Kyle is a professor of spiritual theology and spiritual formation at Talbot in the uh, Institute of Spiritual Formation. I've taken a class with him. Michael was in that program. So we have some shared history and understanding. But Michael, what would you say some of the things we had, like some of the questions we had going into this podcast were with Kyle? Yeah, I think one of the big questions was just um, how, um, how can Kyle, um, being an expert in this area, speak to some of the misconceptions that Mm -hmm. um, the church has had um, regarding spiritual formation and especially that, that term. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, just, yeah, just ways that he can speak to those misconceptions and help, help clarify for us um, what the end goal of spiritual formation is. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he says a lot about that. And so we, we talked to Kyle for a long time. So this is the first of two episodes we have with him. This week is very high concept. He kind of talks about the history of the terms and how he sees it through Christian history and the Christian tradition. And then next week we talk specifically about the church. So they're meant to be listened to in tandem one and two. So this week, listen to this next week, listen to that. And then in two weeks, we'll have an episode where Michael and I kind of go back and talk about some of the highlights and answer some of the questions and misconceptions that might come up from listening to the episode with Kyle. But Michael, before people listen to this week's, is there anything more you want to say? I'm just, I'm, I'm incredibly excited for this. Yes. Um, you know, I, I got my degree from Talbot, which is the same program um, Kyle's teaching in. And, um, you know, I'm excited because, uh, I don't know. I just, I'm excited <laughs> to not, to not be mischaracterized, to be right, honest with right, you, which right. I am not, not, not to like play the victim card, but just saying like, I'm excited for people to understand what I'm excited about. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited for some of the things that when we started coastline, some of the things that we were excited about and wanting to put into even our weekly rhythms of coastline community groups and with our worship services, like we've been talking about these things, but now we're actually like talking about these things. That makes sense. Yep. We've been talking around them. Now we're talking about them and the conversation's only going to get started from here. By no means is this the last time you're going to hear from us about this. And honestly, probably not even the last time you'll hear from Dr. Strobel about this. We'll probably be lucky enough to loop him in, um, in the future, but enjoy this episode, uh, and, and make sure if, if you're out there and you're wanting more from Kyle, make sure you pick up his books. I, I've read several of them. I haven't finished the new one yet, but it's called where prayer becomes real. How honesty with God transforms your soul. Does that not sound like a book you want to read? <laughs> oh man, I'm, I'm excited to eat it up. Yeah, yeah. So enjoy this episode and we will see you next week and every week after that. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant Podcast. And today, Michael and I are joined by potentially one of the, the best guests we'll ever get in the entire <laughs> the entire podcast career. Uh, we have a speaker, writer, professor of spiritual theology and formation at Talbot Theological Seminary. He has written books like Form for the Glory of God and Beloved Dust and The Way of the Dragon and the or The Way of the Lamb, which for what it's worth, I think is maybe my top, one of my top five Christian books of all time. And his new book is called Where Prayer Becomes Real, How Honesty with God Transforms Your Soul. And he is gracious and generous enough to give us some of his time on this beautiful morning. Please welcome to the Coastline Podcast, Dr. Kyle Strobel. Kyle, hello. Thank you for joining us all the way from La Mirada, California via Zoom. (laughs) 
<laughs> hey guys, it's so good to be with you guys. It's really good to have you. Um, I have taken your class at Biola or Talbot. Michael did the same program that you did. And I just want to say for the listener, your class opened my mind to so many things in the Bible that are there that no one ever talks about. And I think we'll get into a little bit about that today. But I want to ask you just for the listeners, who are you? How did you get to where you are? Uh, kind of what, what was your journey from, you know, birth to Talbot? Yeah, no, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting story. You know, I, I, I grew up in the mega churches. So I grew up at Willow Creek Community Church um, in its kind of heyday. Um, my father's least robo. So for those listeners who know, know my father's work. So I grew up in a, in a household that was very oriented to evangelism, apologetics and things like that. I was not academically inclined. At least that's no one thought I was. <laughs> I barely graduated high school, actually, because I didn't show up all that often. <laughs> and when I did eventually kind of choose to go to college, to everyone's surprise, I, I landed in a biblical studies degree. And to everyone's surprise, may, maybe more than anyone else, my own surprise, I did have all these kind of questions that I had never had answered. I had all these concerns. I, um, I for the first time in my life, kind of felt like the Bible was accessible to me mm. and I just consumed it. And, and that led me into a kind of academic calling that, that I had no idea was there. And, and so I, I eventually landed at Talbot after doing a biblical studies degree back in the Midwest. I came to Talbot to study philosophy. I, I, I wanted, I ended up doing philosophy mostly because I was worried that I would end up in a ministry position and be afraid of people's questions. Mm. And in my household, given who my dad is, that's the kind of stories I heard a lot. Right. You know, like I heard stories of people saying, you know, I asked my pastor this question and he told me to stop asking questions. And mm. so I abandoned the faith and I've come back 20 years later. So, I mean, I heard that every day. I heard quite the stories like that. And so I was unsure what kind of ministry I wanted to go into at that point. I was thinking college ministry or pastoring. And I thought, you know, I need to, I need to really wrestle philosophically with, you know, what. and, and quite honestly, I didn't know what other discipline does that. <laughs> so instead of doing theology, for instance, I ended up doing philosophy. Well, it became very clear that I'm not a philosopher. I enjoyed my time, but I wasn't quite sure what to do next. And so I did another master's actually in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. I love that. My plan was to do a PhD in New Testament, interestingly enough. Um, but my dean said, don't do it. Oh, man. <laughs> if you want a job, don't do, don't do that. <laughs> and so I started in our Institute of Spiritual Formation very early on. And that really changed the direction for me, in part because it was there in studying spiritual theology that I discovered theology. Mm -hmm. And probably for the first time in my life, I discovered what theologians did. And in part, it was because the, the tradition, including our own tradition, the evangelical tradition, mm -hmm. never separated out theology from spirituality. They were always one thing, not two. And I caught that vision um, studying here. And so then I left and I did a PhD in systematic theology from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. So I moved to Scotland mm -hmm. for four years, um, studied Jonathan Edwards, an early evangelical theologian, and um, often considered, I kind of, kind of ironically, the greatest theologian and philosopher in American history, although technically it was before the war, so he wasn't American at all. <laughs> um, but we claim him anyways. Yes, you know? <laughs> very of American of us to That's do right. that. <laughs> Um, and so the, you know, the Lord's been kind to me. He's brought me back here and, um, which has been a profound gift. And, um, I'm a father, I have two little kids and I, um, I, I serve on the preaching team at Redeemer Church in La Mirada. So I preach monthly, mm. um, as a part of that, that ministry in the church. And so 
it's, um, you know, my, my position at Talbot's an unusual one. I mean, I get to teach everything from how to read the Bible to church history, to theology, to, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a very wide swath yeah. of things, but it's fun. Wow. Okay. So I have a question about your upbringing and then kind of where you are now. Do you think that like your desire to go into the stream of like spiritual theology, and we'll talk about what that is, was a response to like your heavy evangelical upbringing? Um, you know, I think the way it relates to my upbringing is I, I grew up at a church that preferenced excitement mm. and I, I really struggled with that. Mm. Um, a lot of it because I was excited about a lot of things and my faith wasn't the primary thing in high school right. <laughs> that I was excited about. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't know what to do with that. And it also preferenced evangelism and I, I'm, I'm not an evangelist mm -hmm. at heart. And so I felt a bit lost. Mm. I wondered why I struggled with the things I struggled with. And so as I, as I began to, to study scripture more deeply, the questions that really grabbed me were always questions about formation. Like mm -hmm. why aren't I more formed or why do I still struggle with things that I don't want to do? Like mm -hmm. why, why, why are these things still things that I struggle with? Yep. Um, why, when I wake up in the morning and I think, you know, I'm going to live this day holy for God, do I end up sinning throughout the day? Like yeah. it, it, none of that made sense to me. And things like prayer was, was baffling. And, and there were things that weren't baffling. Um, but those things were also in their own way confusing. Like, why do I gravitate towards these sorts of things rather mm. than these other sorts of things? And how do mm -hmm. I make sense of that? And so for me, I'm, I'm not what I consider kind of a pure academic. I, I couldn't, I wouldn't have done a PhD in anything unless it really grabbed my kind of my heart. Like I, I needed it to, to grab the deep questions I had. Mm -hmm. And so my deep questions have always been about what does it mean to, to look like Jesus mm. And, and how do I make sense of the scriptures that talk about that in a, in a holistic way? And so that, that's what I think really began to intrigue me. And, and, and it was eventually what sent me on to do theology. Yeah. And so you teach spiritual theology and spiritual mm -hmm. formation at Talbot. Yeah. And so for those listening, what would you say, like, if you could give your elevator pitch of what spiritual theology is versus like when someone opens up Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, like what's the difference between spiritual theology and the theology that many of our people have kind of engaged with throughout their Christian life? Yeah, well, right away, this is a problem. So um, the when you think about the early institutions of American history, like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, right, they only had one degree in this stuff. It was called divinity. And that stems from a British system. So in Britain today, still, if you want to become a pastor, you do a bachelor's of divinity and you go to St. Andrews or Oxford or Cambridge or Aberdeen or Glasgow, you know, you go to a local university mm -hmm. in our, our equivalent of UCLA or something and yeah. you study divinity, right? Which is very weird is they don't have a seminary system like we do. Well, we carried that over and eventually a seminary system started. The problem is in modern education, we create all these distinctions. And so you can do a degree in divinity today, of course, the masters of divinity, which a lot of pastors do. But what's weird is you're studying under people that have degrees in New Testament or Old Testament or practical theology mm -hmm. or systematic theology or apologetics or philosophy. Or suddenly we have like a, literally over a dozen different ways to parse out what we used to just call divinity. Mm. And there's a long story about that. It's a, it's a German model of education that we've adopted. 
The problem with the modern seminary life is that we we lost one of the slivers of what theology was, and it just had nowhere to go in the modern seminary. And so we used to call it Christian ethics, the Puritan, that's what the Dutch still call it today. We used to call it um, practical divinity or experiential divinity, like the Puritans would call it. Calvin might just call it the Christian life. But what we call spiritual theology today is that aspect of theology that addresses the lived reality of these things. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, I mean, there's there's a um, there's a very famous work by a guy named um, Petrus von Maastricht, who is a Dutch theologian of the 17th century. So, I mean, in, all, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, probably pretty obscure. Yeah. But he was a major figure of his day. Edwards actually claimed his his work of theology was the greatest work ever written on outside the Bible. Wow. But when you read his book, what's interesting is he breaks every doctrine into four parts. So the first thing I'll look is what does the Bible say about this? And then I'll get into debates, you know, with whether the Catholics versus the Orthodox versus, you know, so he gets in debates about it. Um, and eventually it leads him to what he calls the practical part. And that's just what we call spiritual formation. Like practically, what does it mean to actually live this way? Like the Bible says, walk in the spirit. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> like, and that if you're asking that question, answering, you are doing spiritual formation. Mm. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's, that leads us into our next question. I, I feel like this is the million dollar question mm-hmm. with the hundred dollar term. <laughs> and the term is, so now that we've talked about spiritual theology, now what mm-hmm. is spiritual formation? The way, so spiritual formation is what it means to be formed in the likeness of Christ by the spirit. And so this is, I think the most confused issue actually um, by folks in the church Folks in the church often, I find, think spiritual formation is a view of something. Mm. It is not. Mm. Every Christian believes in spiritual formation. Yeah. Even if you held a very weird belief, and there are Christians who believe this, some radical Lutherans would say formation never happens. Like, you're never formed more like Christ. Mm. And for them, it's like, sin boldly and praise God for grace. Nice. <laughs> you know? that's, a, that's a very radical position. That's still a view of spiritual formation. Huh. It's a weird view because there's no formation going on. Yeah. <laughs> But the church has always talked about spiritual formation. They just haven't necessarily used that language. Again, we call it Christian ethics. We call it practical divinity or experiential divinity or practical theology or all these things. Or again, sanctification of the Christian life would be ways Mm -hmm. to talk about it. And so spiritual formation is being, now the key there is we're being formed. We are in the image of Christ. We're being formed increasingly in the likeness of Christ. And the, the agent of that formation is primarily the spirit that doesn't pit the spirit against my action. Like I still have to give myself to something, but what importantly it does is it names the truth that I actually don't have the resources by which I can just form myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I have to learn to walk in the spirit and that, that, that walking in the spirit is essential because whatever else formation is, it's not merely becoming good. Because as a Christian, I don't stand primarily before the law. I stand face to face with Christ. Right. And so as I stand before him, by the spirit, I'm now gazing upon his face. That's Paul's language from 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. You know, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the God, beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
That transformation happens as we gaze upon the face of Christ by faith. Mm. And, and that is just simply the work of the spirit. And so when we think about the nature of that transformation, that's what spirit formation is. Mm. That's so interesting to me because that seems like such a, in, in some ways, passive way of, of growth. Um, it's, it's mm. less of this kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of pull myself up by, by my bootstraps and find myself growing. And it's more of this, I'm going to grow by being in Christ or by, by being with him. And I think, um, one of the, it just leads me to the kind of these, these misconceptions that I think people mm-hmm. have, um, towards the, the term spiritual formation and what they've heard about it or what they've Googled, <laughs> which they probably found yeah. a, a wide array of <laughs> yeah. things <laughs> when they've Googled. But that being said, I, I feel like one of the things that, that I've heard people say is that, you know, with all these, um, that spiritual formation kind of centers around spiritual disciplines and that spiritual disciplines are works-based. And so uh, spiritual formation must be about works. And yet everything you just said actually felt like it, it was a lot more passive. It wasn't quite mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I'm going to work my way up to Jesus. So that being yeah. said, um, what misconceptions would you say that you see kind mm-hmm. of in the church today? Mm. Well, that, you know, what you just said is really important, I think, because if you go back to what I said earlier about everyone believing in spiritual you can't say, oh, well, they're, they're spiritual folks, therefore they believe right. X. Right, 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 right. So the question you have to ask is, well, what are they, do they believe in evangelical spiritual do they believe in Roman Catholic spiritual Do they believe in Eastern Orthodox spiritual Do they believe in Wesleyan spiritual Interesting. They're all slightly different. So if you're a Protestant evangelical, as I am, of the reform variety, so like I, you know, I follow the Puritan tradition on this, the Puritans always talked about spiritual mm. I mean, that's their primary gift is about spiritual And for them, that's going to be spiritual that presupposes things like justification by faith alone, mm. by grace alone, mm-hmm. in Christ alone, right? Mm-hmm. And so the worry I have, and, and, you know, some of these, some of these misconceptions, it's, I, I don't blame people for thinking some of this stuff because when you look at a lot of the books that have been the kind of best-selling books in this area, a lot of them are coming from a tradition that leans a little more works-based style. And so most of these mm. books are just books on spiritual disciplines. Mm. And whereas if you look in our own tradition, the early evangelicals would have hated the term spiritual disciplines. No one ever would use that term. <laughs> It's a, it's a very untheological term, and it's just widely misguided. Mm. Because the second you hear discipline, you think, oh, I know what a discipline is. Mm-hmm. I, I have physical discipline, mm-hmm. right? Whether I do it or not, I can kind of understand it, right? The gym mm-hmm. calls me every January-ish and <laughs> <laughs> reminds me I could be doing some more than I do. And we begin to think like, oh, the spiritual life must be like that. I must have to do these disciplines to grow and things along those lines. Mm. The, tr- the, the, the evangelical tradition always talked about means of grace. Yeah. And that's a different sort of thing. So if you think about the difference between I, I, I go to church to grow, that's mm-hmm. spiritual discipline. I need to go to church. I need to listen to sermons. I need to read books. I need to pray. I need to do these to grow. Notice right away, we're in a kind of idolatry already mm-hmm. because my growth is the end. Mm-hmm. Wow. See, spiritual isn't primarily about your growth. It's primarily about God and your relation to God. Yeah. Growth is a byproduct of that. If it becomes about your growth, now it's a kind of pet project by which you're kind of wielding the various tools you have to try to enact that end. 
Well, there's plenty of books I could point to. Actually, I think most books out that are quote unquote about spiritual formation are probably more adequately entitled self-help books. Mm-hmm. They are tools to advance your life. I just don't think that's spiritual formation, at least not an evangelical variety, not a not a Protestant variety. If you believe in kind of Protestant spiritual formation, you start from the fact that you are justified. And as scripture says, you are sanctified. Right? Sanctification is not primarily something you're growing in. It names something you are. Mm. Like the, the Bible is very clear about that. No matter how many people get that wrong, the Bible is very, very clear about that. You know, I think of a passage like Hebrews 10.10, 10, we have been sanctified by the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once and for all. We have been sanctified. Mm. Or 1 Corinthians 1.30, this is Christ is your sanctification, right? Mm-hmm. Only sanctified things can embrace Christ and draw near to God. So God has sanctified us just as much as he has justified us for his life. And so when we talk about means of grace, then grace names the gift of God's self to you. So to to embrace that, to receive it, is to give yourself to a certain form of life that is receiving God's life. And, you know, Ephesians Mm. 4.18, when Paul there is talking about what the Gentiles have missed out on by not hearing the gospel. He explicitly says they miss out on God's life. Wow. And so if I do a means of grace, reading scripture, listening to a sermon, praying, what's actually going on there is this is my giving myself. So it's, it is active in that regard. Like I still have to move my body. I still have to move my will. I still have to enact the Christian life. But I'm enacting these things to embrace something God is giving me. Mm. It's not the end of it. The whole goal of it is abiding in Christ. Yeah. Not my own growth. Wow. And that that will then totally change. And this is how the entire Protestant tradition has always talked about this. I mean, entirely. This is how Calvin talks about it. This is how Luther talks about it. This is how Jonathan Edwards, this is even how Wesley talks. Now, Wesley is going to, you know, as a Wesley, he's going to lean a little heavier on, on the kind of get your act together side of things. Right. And you see that among a lot of modern spiritual folks, folks like Dallas Willard, he will lean a little more that direction than I would. I, as a kind of more reformed leaning evangelical will lean a little more heavily on, on God is the one who's achieved these things. And now I receive them um, to use the classic kind of language. Christ has kind of um, he has kind of won salvation mm. and the spirit now applies it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I am receiving what Christ has already achieved and I still need to act for that. Right. Reception is still an act. I do. Um, I can't just, Passive in that regard doesn't mean sitting around waiting for God to do something. Right. But there is an activity then to what I must do to receive it and to embrace it. And that's simply the life of faith. And so when we think about evangelical spirit formation, we have to add that qualifier of evangelical Mm -hmm. and therefore based on our theological beliefs. And so when folks criticize it for not being evangelical, they're not they're not hearing what it is because evangelical spiritual will just be evangelical. (laughs) (laughs) And what's funny is the folks I've seen folks kind of, there are some, not a lot actually, but there are some who who folks who are kind of well-known who will criticize spiritual formation. I I can honestly say I have never been criticized for any view I actually hold. Hmm. And I've never seen spiritual formation criticized for any view that's actually true of of evangelical spiritual formation. Mm they always criticize someone who's outside the bounds who I would reject. 
Yeah. And I fully agree with their rejection of that person. And, and they've never actually engaged what, 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 what folks like we at that Talbot would actually hold to be true. Yeah. That leads me just to, to thinking, and that's kind of why I called it the hundred dollar term, <laughs> you know, it just, yeah, yeah. it just leads me to thinking like that term spiritual formation has just been mischaracterized so deeply um, into being this kind of works based or what, I mean, just anything that feels like super far off liberal theology, like it just kind of <laughs> is the catch all for all those things. Or like Catholic or mystic. Yes. Those are the other things mm-hmm. that yeah. you kind of hear yes. thrown at you. Totally. Totally. And, and yet what I'm hearing you say is that um, when you use that term, like the goal being abiding in Christ, like that's actually the goal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it, you know, that just draws me right into John 15 and, you know, this, um, you know, Jesus saying, I am the vine, um, you know, you are the branches and apart from me, you can do nothing. And so mm-hmm. that, that then leads me to think, well, gosh, then what can I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so that's, I'm wondering, you know, as you say that, like for, for the average listener, okay. So you're saying that I, I can't, I can't grow on my own. Um, I need Jesus. Well, then what can I do? And I, I, yeah, that's just, I think a question to ask. What do you think the answer is for that? Yeah. Well, what we give ourselves to therefore is always receptive. It is what we receive. And this is, this is what we find in scripture. You know, the scripture, when it talks about the Christian life is very interesting because God never asks you to do anything that he hasn't given you. And so he tells you, you must forgive. You need to forgive as he has forgiven you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting about that, I mean, if you if you take the Christian life seriously as scripture declares it, right, it's, it's always a path of loving God and loving neighbor more, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus says the path of love is through forgiveness. So in Luke 7, 47, he says, the one who is forgiven much can love much. And so then, then suddenly the path of Christian growth is, okay, I have to actually give myself to a life where what will be revealed to me is how much more I need forgiveness. Mm. This is what most Christians don't understand. They think the Christian life will be growing to, to get over my sin. We're actually, according to Jesus here, growth will mean, so if you take um, my, my, one of my students, you know, I'll often tell them this, you know, 30 years from now, you'll look back at your life now. And if you've grown, what you'll realize is you were profoundly naive about how sinful you are. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're growing, you're going to grow into the truth of, oh my goodness, yeah. Lord Jesus, I need you. And so it's always receptive. Now, again, that means we still do stuff. Like there's plenty of things the scripture takes as non-negotiables. Mm. Um, being a part of a church, I think is a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, grace, just because grace is a gift, it doesn't mean it doesn't demand a response. Mm-hmm. Um, faith is a response. Like you, you have to receive a gift to make the gift meaningful. If you don't receive it, it it wasn't received, right? It it won't do you any good whatsoever. And Jesus lays out all sorts of things that mean receiving that gift. Well, Um, you know, gratitude is, is something that the Christian tradition has always turned to as a, as an interesting sign of, of grace. Like you haven't received grace if you're not grateful. Mm. (laughs) Right. And, and if you're not grateful, then it points to the fact that you haven't understood one of two things you haven't understood the gift you've been given and you haven't understood how much you're in need of the gift. Mm. And so you have to then wrestle through very deeply. Well, well, how much do I actually need this? And, and what is the gift? And usually we find we have reduced visions of both things. We've reduced the gift that God has given down to something like forgiveness rather than giving himself to us. 
right? Which is which is includes forgiveness, but is much deeper than that. And then sometimes we just haven't realized, I think, how sinful we are and how profound of, of a gift that was. Wow. Yeah. But you think, you know, being part of a community of faith, um, knowing the word of God, prayer, um, praising his name, you know, overflowing with the, the kind of truth of these things. Well, those are all things that we first received mm. that need to fill us up to overflow. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the images, one of there's a really ancient image um, in the Christian church where one, um, 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 the medieval theologian, um, Bernard, um, St. Bernard, um, Bernard of Clairvaux, usually called, he says, he's looking around at the church of his day and he says, you know, I look at a lot of canals. Most Christians are canals. They're receiving and handing off very quickly. He goes, what we need are reservoirs. We need people who have been so filled with the love of God, so filled with the forgiveness of God, so full of the mercy of God, so full of the grace of God, that they just overflow these things. And I think that's just an explanation of what Jesus says when he says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit, right? Or the fruit of the spirit. Like if you have the spirit, if you're walking in the spirit, the byproduct of that will be things like love like kindness, like goodness, and ironically, self-control. Mm. That it actually takes the spirit to have self-control, mm. which means there is a self-control of the flesh. Mm. That a Christian could try to live the Christian life in the flesh according to the self-control of the flesh. And there's self-control that only is a byproduct of life in the spirit. Mm. Wow. It's very interesting that it requires the spirit to have true self-control. <laughs> And that, that, again, that's something that I imagine most people read and know that passage often that have just never actually considered. That's good. Well, wait a second. (laughs) I can't have self-control outside the spirit. Is it possible then for me to actually have self-control of the flesh? And the answer is yes. And scripture is very clear about that. If you liked what you hear, make sure you check back next week for the conclusion of our conversation with Dr. Kyle Strobel. Thanks.